All right, like Joel mentioned, I appreciate we are in a series that we're calling Jesus, Community, and Mission. And if you have to sum up the three areas, say, of our vision, we, we, we call this the elements of authentic Christianity. There's these three elements, really, um, of authentic Christianity. And as you summarize the vision of Wyndham Baptist, these are three of the key uh, elements that flow through us and into our lives and into our communities. So what we've gone through is Jesus, community, and mission. We're going back to that today. We're going back to Jesus again next week, community, and the following week will be mission. And then we're going to do it one more time through because we want to just keep uh, getting this. We're not talking about new things. We're talking about old things. But we're talking about them in ways, hopefully again, that helps them to cement for us. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. And um, I just want to remind us about these things. So let's pray together and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Father, help us together today. Pray for your spirit to be working in us. Pray for receptivity in our hearts. I want to pray especially for receptivity about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us together today. Lord, help us not to defend or fight or argue uh, mentally for some. Lord, help us not to be depressed or overwhelmed or or not to just lord not to plug in not to listen because we're afraid of what we're going to hear today instead i pray that as we look at jesus we would understand what jesus's heart is and how we can connect with him and lord that's going to take your work it's going to take supernatural power to do that for us together today and we're just so glad because you fully intend to do that so work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, here's what Wyndham Baptist Church is all about. Jesus, community, and mission, and really nothing else. Okay? Did, did you hear that? That's a big statement, isn't it? Nothing else. You, you can add in the list. If you sat there and said, boy, what is it that a church really needs to be? What, why do I go to church? I'll bet you you could come up with a list of things that, that you might add to that. But as we look through it biblically, what we're saying is Jesus, community, and mission. You can have a personal walk with Christ. And we are here to help everyone have that. And today I'm going to show you how we do that just moment by moment. We'll remind you that the gospel, though, is also growing us into a new community, isn't it? Uh, here at Wyndham... We don't just hold weekly services, as important as those really are, but we're also building a new community. That's why we meet in what we call missional communities throughout our region. Nobody has to be a first-timer. You, you can come here and be a first-timer the first time you show up, and then after that, you don't ever have to be new here. We want you to plug in. We want you to be connected. Okay? And then we're also here for missions. If you remember when, when, when Josh's friend Steve Nefakis from OMF was here sharing with us, uh, if you remember him, one of the comments he made is, if you take some of the statistics about New England, about this region of Maine, essentially you are talking about an unreached people group. Do, do you realize that? Do, do you think about this region needing the gospel in the same way that Mombasa needs the gospel. Now, I'm not trying to prioritize or say one's more important than the other. Both are really important. So some of you guys should be praying that God would send you to Mombasa. 
Okay? We really should be. But God has also sent you to your neighbors. An unreached people group for Jesus. So if you are a Christian, you're a missionary. I'll say it one more time. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Do we, do we believe that? God is calling you and He's calling me to make an eternal difference in people's lives. God is calling you and God is calling me to move toward people. Huh, I know we're New Englanders. But God is calling you to move towards people in love and in service and in prayer and with the Gospel. So God put all that into our lives and we're here to obey the call. That's why these are driving for us Jesus community mission. That's what we're about, right? So let's start with, with Jesus again this week. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take really one sentence, two verses. We're going to break it into three phrases so we can walk through this together today. So take a look here. We're going to focus on verses 6 and 7. You can even see, though, for Paul, when he's writing this here in the beginning part of the chapter, it's all about Jesus. It's about mission. It's about community. You can see these things flowing through this. We have to, we have to kind of constrain ourselves. We're only going to look at verses 6 and 7 today. Uh, two weeks from now, we're going to jump back down to the end of chapter 1 and look at that as well. But today, therefore, like Joel just read for us, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's what we're going to cover today, okay? So let's ask this first question. Let's take that first phrase. As you receive Christ Jesus, verse 6 right there, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Jesus is central. And what is He saying? Boy, the key thing, the key thing that you and I need as believers is Jesus. There's an as-so structure here. Paul's putting these two things close together. He's equating these two things. He's saying, hey, the way that you became a Christian, that's how you're going to grow every single day as a Christian. The way that you were brought in is the way that you're going to continue on. So let's ask the question, how did you, how did you become a Christian? Well, you received Jesus Christ the Lord, right? And that was all He asked of you. And that was good, because what? When we came to Christ, what did we realize? We were really aware, what? Of our neediness? Think, think back in your own life. We were aware of our brokenness. We were aware of our own disappointment in everything else that we thought that would make our lives great. And we were actually aware of our own disappointment in ourselves, right? I mean, isn't that true? We're aware of our inability to just pull all of life together the way that we knew it should go. And when we became really clearly aware of that, we came to Jesus. We came to Jesus at that point. We came to Jesus and we were, we were empty-handed. It was all that we could do, right? We had, I had nothing to offer Him. I just, I received Him. 
I couldn't boast about what I had done. I was just grateful for what He could do. In fact, convinced, right? That He even gave us our capacity to receive Him. That He worked in us. He drew us. Our whole experience of Jesus has been need receiving fullness. It was all of grace from start to finish. So let me just kind of boil what we're talking about. Because what he says here is, as you began, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And then he's going to say this. Uh, he's going to start talking about the faith, right? He's going to say, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. Boy, the way that you came to Him, keep doing that. Keep being rooted in Him. Keep being built up in Him, in the faith, right? So what's he talking about the faith? I just want to clarify. Like, let's, let's take four statements. Let's just take these four statements here, these four truths about who, um, who God is. And we're, we're just going to put these up here. Let's see if I got that or not. Nothing. Okay, so I'll use Tyler's imaginary um, technique here. There we go. See, they, they come up when I do that. Almost come up. Uh, let's try it again. So we'll take these four. If they show up, great. If they don't, no big deal. All right. But the first one I want to do is I want to remind us that, that the first truth, because we talked about this last week, but these vague kind of fuzzy concepts that a lot of us work on, that's not what connects us to Jesus. Vague, fuzzy concepts about Jesus do not connect us to him. We need biblical truth. And, and if we boil it down, if we bring it down to its basic levels, here are four biblical truths that we need to understand. So these specific truths are going to help us. Number one, God made us. God owns us. God cares for us. We owe Him everything. You could look at Psalm 24.1, right? How about that? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who dwell in it. But we also understand this. God is in Himself all pleasure and all joy God is everything that our heart desires. So that's point number one. Point number two, from the very beginning though, we resist God. We do, right? We resent His claim on us. We want our own way. We want our own gods. Again, go back to Genesis chapter 3 to find this out very clearly. We want to be God. We secretly wish that God would leave His blessings and then leave us alone. But God will not un-God Himself for us. And for that reason, we are under His wrath and we deserve it. So Romans 1, uh, verse 21 is another great place where you can do I'm just kind of giving you some summary types of verses. Third thing, the third thing is, and this is really good news for us today. And I hope you're listening to this. No matter what your church background is, I hope you're hearing this. God loves touchy, defensive sinners. God's heart feels such mercy towards us that He sent His only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live the truly human life that we have never lived and to die the guilty death that, that we don't want to die. God made a way for us to be reconciled to God and to live forever in a new world of grace that He's creating. 
So Romans 3, 23 through 24 would be another great place to look for that. That all have sinned, right? And fall short of the glory of God. We, we know that. But they're justified by His grace. That, that whole truth is in there. We can't read 23 without also reading 24. So, so God made us. Second, we resist God. Third, God loves people like us. Fourth thing that we need to know is our only part is to receive with empty hands of faith all that Jesus is for us. Jesus changes our hearts. Remember how the, the, the second one is we resist God? Well, Jesus actually changed our hearts by coming. He changes our hearts, overcoming our resistance and resentment, and He replaces it with joy. In Christ, we secure a new heart which is, un, which is capable of untold and altogether superior joy in God. And you know what else starts to happen? We begin to obey God because it makes us happy. We don't obey God to try and earn His love. We begin to obey God because it makes us happy. There's a transformation that's going on inside, isn't there? That's good news for us. So I have a question for you. This may be a little different than where, where some of you come from. This may be different than what you picture a church even saying. Um, and, and I have a question then is, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? On His terms, the way that He says that we should receive Him. Or, did you just get religious? I mean, bottom line is, do we need to say to Him this morning, God, I want all of you, Lord. And, and I want to just give you my guilt. I want to give you all my sadness. I want to give you my fakeness. I'm not even sure it's a word, but we'll use it. Are you willing to really have the full industrial strength Jesus in your life? Or do you want like a tame Jesus? A Jesus who's never going to get up in your face and confront you. Do you want a relationship with a real person? If not, what happens is our heart remains in this, this isolation, this loneliness. And then what we do is we role play relationships and we hurt deep inside forever. But you don't have to. Not for one more minute. Jesus Christ is willing to give Himself to you. And will you truly receive Him? Will you do that right now? He promises to give Himself to you wholeheartedly. That's how it works. You come with hands full of nothing. Not even lint. And He gives you His total grace. 
It's important because, again, we're looking at this passage. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So that's what we're saying. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? The goal is to build our whole life on the foundation of grace. Because he doesn't just say, did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? He says, the way that you did that, so walk in him today. Is that the attitude you came this morning with? Walk in him today. Walk in that. Keep doing it. We can build our whole life on the foundation of God's grace. And I've got to say, in my experience, growing up at least, not enough Christians are doing that. Too many Christians sort of seem to receive Jesus on these terms of grace, and then they get it in their head somehow that the, the, the whole rules of the game have changed. They start out in grace, but then they try to grow by their own performance. They create a church culture of appearances. And I've got to be honest, I grew up in some of this. So, so those families are hard places to live. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. That they, they stand in judgment over other people. Everything begins to just go sour. And how does that happen? Well, I mean, the bottom line, let's just let's summarize Keller on this one, right? Man-made religion, the difference between accepting Jesus and being religious, man-made religion says, I obey and therefore God accepts me. I'll be honest with you, I talked to my sister yesterday on the phone. She grew up in the same house I did, and she grew up in a lot of the same churches I grew up in. But what really communicated, what has really wounded her deeply, was that the message that she got was, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The problem is, none of us obey. That means what? None of us are accepted. But that's what religion says. God-given grace says what? I am accepted. I am accepted. As weak, as weary, as broken, if you knew, this is the theories that people always say to me, if you knew who I really was, you might not even want me here. <laughs> if you knew who I was, I'm in the same category, right? We admit openly as a church that we are deeply broken and flawed people. Grace says I'm accepted, so I'm going to obey. I love to obey, and God's making it so my heart wants to obey. We need to learn that, though, over and over and over again. Because self-justification is the default setting of the human heart. We never, ever, 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 ever get past Jesus as Christians. Jesus lived the perfect life that we never lived. Jesus died the guilty death that we don't want to die. And Jesus said from the cross, it's finished. So Ray Ortland said this. He said, when we receive Christ with the empty hands of faith, God says to us, for the sake of his son, you, listen to me, you are accepted and you are you are accepted in the beloved. And then Ray goes on, he says this, stop there. Stay there. 
live there. You are loved. You are received. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are justified. You are safe. You are accepted in the Beloved. Start every day there. Live every day there. End every day there. Let your acceptance in Christ encourage you when you sin. Let it humble you when you think you're great. Stop looking at yourself. Stop living in crisis mode or in denial. Stop trying to squeeze validation and big dealness and sympathy out of other sinners who have nothing to offer you except what Christ Himself already offers you. Look away from human approval. Look to Christ and you'll find all the approval that you need. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? And yet, isn't it difficult? It is. Because of who we are. So so what I'm encouraging us to do this morning is remember, the way that you are going to move forward in Christ, the way that you are going to really build your life around Jesus this year is not going to be by saying, I swear I will read the Bible every single day. Now we're going to get to that in a second here. But it's not going to be that. It's not going to say, God will really love me if I move to Mombasa. It's not going to be to say, all right, God will really accept me finally. We're going to have to begin to just see His smile on us and relax in His finished work and look forward to His complete victory because Jesus said, do not be afraid. It's I. It is I. I will take care of you. The way that we started our Christian life is the way that we are supposed to pursue it even this minute right now. So let's move on there because he goes on, doesn't he? He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, hey, keep, keep going back to that. He says, there's a way that we do this. And the second part of this is rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith. Just as you were taught. What's the second component that helps us really be all about Jesus? Well, I mean, let's take a couple of these key words here. This idea of rooted, what picture comes to your mind? Okay, big tree, right? When you have this picture of of being built up, what kind of picture comes to mind? Construction, right? You think about a foundation. You think about a building being built up. He's saying, hey, let me take these two pictures. Let let them drive you for a second here. What he's telling us is there's a way that you and I can go down and be deep with Jesus Christ. We can be solid. We can be rooted. We can be firm in our faith. But here's a question I struggle with. Is sort of like, well, well, how does that help me? Remember last week we looked at two different groups, right? You had Pharisees, and you had tax collectors. And with the way that Jesus told the parable in Luke chapter 15, which group was on his team? The sinners. The gospel isn't for good people, and then broken people reject it. The gospel is actually for broken people, and who rejects it? Yeah. Yeah. 
really good people, right? We get that backwards. We think about our society and we think it works the other way, but it's not that way. Good people don't feel like they need the gospel. Here's why I mention that. Because when he's talking about being rooted, when he talks about being built up in him, established in the faith just like you were taught, which group from last week evidences all those characteristics? Pharisees, the scribes, right? Man, if anybody knew God's word, it was them. They dedicated their lives to knowing and teaching and delivering God's word. The guys who seemed like they didn't know God's word and probably didn't know much of it were the tax collectors and the sinners. So what I'm asking is, is it enough to just simply say, okay, well, I read God's Word, I study God's Word, I go to Bible study. I go to a deep Bible study. My Bible study is better than your Bible study. It takes me 16 hours a day to do my Bible study. Oh yeah? Well, I went to Bible college. It takes me 94 hours a day to do all of my studying in the Bible. Is that what transforms? But let me ask it another way. Have you ever been in God's Word, you've read it, and you just don't feel like it's transforming you? I have. So is Paul calling us here to say, listen guys, just, just study some more. Yes. But not just study some more. I, I want to show us kind of three uh, things that, that are going to help us in this. But I want us to get this. How do I get established in the faith? What is the faith? Well, the faith, bottom line, is the teachings of the Bible. It's theology. It's doctrine. It's real. You and I need to study it. Do not walk away. Please, do not walk away saying that Mark said, I don't need to read the Bible or I shouldn't be in my Bible every day. I'm saying you and I need to be in our Bibles more than we currently are. Every day. We need to read. We need to study. We need to turn the TV off and study. We need to sit with our kids. We need to sit with our spouses. We need to come and study. We need to be part of a missional community. We need to study God's Word. So so get that. And if, if for some reason you think, no, I'm more authentic in my faith because I don't do that, you're lying to yourself. Okay? Can we just say it that way? You're not authentic. You're just you're You're fooling yourself. Just be honest about that. The way that we we really drill down deep into Jesus is going to come from knowing Him in His Word. But let me me show you just something. Uh, Jonathan Dodson did a great job of this in his book called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. See, that would be one of the books that you would turn the TV off on and you'd read. So just a little suggestion. That would be one great book that you can take. Okay, So uh, Jonathan Dodson's book, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, he, he offered this, and it was helpful to me. I wanted to share this with you because it's right on the same, um, the same idea. We've got a little chart action here because I know charts help. Um, but here's the picture. There's three components that we're going to bring into this. And the first one we're going to understand is that religious affections. Does God call us to dispassionately obey him? No, he calls us to delight in him, to love him. You can find passage after passage. Think about the great commandment. What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Is God kidding? Is that hyperbole? 
No, that's what God says life is all about. You and I were made to find our life in who God is. So religious affections are affections for Jesus that result in obedience. Let me just say this. It's not singing Jesus is my boyfriend songs when we get into church. It's not about being super hyper energetical. Again, someone can look that word up. I don't think it exists. But, but if, if, you, if you think about this, I'm not calling you, because I know a lot of you guys, and I know that you're not the most emotionally charged people. I can see it right now. All right? <sighs> Sorry. But, but I've had some of you say, what, you, you, you want me to become like that person over there where I'm just really emotional and weeping and crying and waving hands? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is do we have a soul that sits there and says, God, you're all I need. Jesus, I'm looking other, I've looked other places. I have tried other things. I have tasted and I've found that you are the only one that's ever going to complete me. Now, God called us to delight in Him, not simply know about Him. But as we saw in those four truths, we cannot love and enjoy and be encouraged by who God is without God's help. Religious affection is impossible apart from the gospel. Remember, we resist God. But what happens? The gospel transforms us and gave us a new ability to love him and find joy in him. Jesus made a way for us to have a new heart which is capable of untold and altogether superior joy. But what do we do when we don't feel that joy? What do we do when we don't feel that joy? Do we just consider ourselves broken? Do we just sit there and say, well, I guess I'm not going to live for that? Do we quit? Aren't there going to be times in our lives when I don't want to live for that joy? I don't want God to be my joy because I've got something else my heart is set on and I want to live for that. I want to be right for once. I want someone to appreciate me for once. Whatever it is. You can fill in your own blanks on that, right? What do we do when we don't feel that? What do we do? We fight. We fight the good fight of faith. We fight for faith to believe that obedience to Jesus is better than disobedience. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Well, this is the second thing. We go from religious affections over to promises and warnings. Promises and warnings. Here's what it is. God writes to Christians in order to strengthen their faith. So what does He give to us? He gives us warnings. And those warnings are going to help us to fight. Remember Hebrews? We just went through the whole book of Hebrews. And what does Hebrews have? It has earth-shaking warnings in it, doesn't it? Are those warnings supposed to deteriorate our faith? Are they supposed to cause us to be like, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. No, they actually serve and strengthen our faith. Why? Because when that warning comes up, we read it and we go, oh, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the person who faces the wrath of God. That warning actually serves and strengthens our faith. That's what Hebrews is all about. But remember, Hebrews also showed us great and precious promises about who Jesus is. 
So we have warnings and promises. Those promises are going to help us because what they do is they um, give us promises we can cling to. And those promises make us more like Jesus and less like our world. God motivates our discipleship with unblushing promises of reward as well as his sober warnings of judgment. So he says to us, listen, do not walk away from your faith. He gives warnings just right here in Colossians we're reading. He says he has a whole list there in chapter 3 about people who are sexually addicted. And he also has a list of people who are bitter and angry. And he says those people, I'm warning you, are not going to be in heaven. What do we do? Do we sit there and go, oh, no. Yes, we do. We say, wow, God, I don't want to be like that. God, I don't want to live for that. We also take the promises of God. where He promises to be more for us than we could ever dare to dream or imagine. We're supposed to love God. So one of the tools that he gives to us, which really helps us, are these promises and these warnings. And they serve and strengthen and build our faith. That's why we need to be in God's word. I need to know what God promises, and I also need to know what God warns me so I can have proper religious affections. But what's the third part that's always going to come into this? Repentance. I'm going to find that I need to repent, right? Why? Because I'm still broken. I'm still sinful. I'm still the person who resists God. Repentance is when I exchange joys. I had joy. I had a promise. A promise coming to me from some area of my life that said, boy, if somebody would just today tell you how great you are. For once, just be thankful. I had a promise. It was telling me my life would be better. Repentance is when we sit there and go, you know what? I don't need that. What I need is to know that God loves me and approves of me. So I'm taking smaller, lesser joys, and I turn to greater and infinitely substantial, satisfying ones. Repentance, though, is a gift from God that compels us to turn away from the fleeting promises of sin and turn to the enduring promises of the gospel. So you see how this is cyclical? The way that Jesus stays in the center of our life is as we continue to take these actions, as we continue to move there. What's not on this chart? I'm sure we could come up with a whole bunch of answers. And since I asked the question, I'll answer it, okay? That way you don't have to sit there and go. I'm trying to think what he might say. All around here is the Holy Spirit. All around here is the Holy Spirit. Because can I do this on my own? Am I capable of this? If I was capable of this, would Jesus had to have died? No. But you know what? Which is really good news for me and really good news for you. The Spirit of God is transforming me and the Spirit of God is transforming you. He's helping you. So those times where we really lock in and we don't want to do the right thing, guess what the Holy Spirit does? He helps you. And does He do it with like beating you over the head? No, He comes alongside of you and He transforms. He melts your heart, doesn't He? Sometimes it feels like beating over the head. But that's because we need it sometimes, right? Isn't that loving? Didn't, didn't some of our parents do that for us because we needed it? We needed someone to speak hard truth to us and get our attention? Spirit does that. 
But what I'm saying is you and I were not on our own. So Dodson said this quote. He said, the purpose of repentance is to lead us into true joy. Repenting is for rejoicing. The intoxicating joy of the Lord exposes our lesser joys for what they are. They're false. They're empty. And it leads us to a faith in the true and rewarding promises of God. A gospel-centered discipleship rejects the pursuit of perfection and embraces the gift of repentance. So when I say follow Christ the way that you came to Christ, am I saying just live the way you feel like? No. What I'm saying is we repented then All of our life is supposed to be repenting. What do you need to repent of today? Guys, we never get past the worship of Jesus. That's why Jesus is in the center here. This little cyclical process is what helps us keep Jesus in the center. It's what takes biblical truth from just being facts and information like the back of a cereal box and instead writes it deep inside of our souls so that we actually rejoice in who Jesus is. It's what can take a six-year-old and cause them to love Jesus. Jesus wants 13-year-olds to love and treasure and find him to be enough. And it's going to be this process in their life. Parents are going to have to help them walk through this. Does Jesus want us there? Yes. Well, let me get this last question, this last part here. Did you notice that he gives you a sign? You know, you sit there, you read this, and you think, boy, I need a sign, Jesus. I need to know if this is happening in my life or not. So he said, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just like you were taught, the way that we showed you, keep doing that. What's the sign? Bounding in thanksgiving. Why does he conclude that way? Because honestly, there's no better diagnostic for our spiritual growth than this. Are you abounding? In thanksgiving? Is, is gratitude just flowing out of your heart? Is that the emotional tone of your heart? Or are we a complaining? Now, honestly, a modern American should really pay a lot of attention to this phrase, shouldn't they? Because we really are the biggest group of whiners in all of the world's history ever. But I can just say that. Our power goes out for five minutes, and we're like, what happened? Netflix is down. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure in Mombasa it's not exactly the same thing. And we know in Haiti, as Tim and Cindy are down in Haiti today, as we think around our world, we are the biggest whiners ever. We're so privileged. We expect all of life to go well. And when inevitably it doesn't, our mentality of entitlement makes us angry or fearful or selfish or gloomy, or negative, or anything but grateful. Now let, me, let me point this out to you, too. You might sit there and go, okay, if God tells me to be thankful, I'm going to be thankful today. It's the right thing to do. But does forced thanks abound? 
Think about your kids. Again, if you have kids, or you've seen kids, you've, you've run into kids, right? <laughs> Ever heard that parent, you know, what do you say? <laughs> Did it three times yesterday, so I know exactly how this goes. What do you say? Thanks. Is that abounding thanks? Are you even slightly convinced at that moment? I'm not. Forced thanks doesn't abound. Only grace gets us abounding in thanksgiving. If your heart's not abounding in thanksgiving, then what's happened? Well, you've allowed some idol to get in there. You've set your heart on some false hope, a false faith, a false love, and it's let you down, and it has broken your heart. And then what that idol does, he points at Jesus and he says, it's his fault. Jesus didn't give you what you want or what you need. That's what our idols do. Now, everyone gets slammed by life. We're not all going to be equally grateful all the time. But if you take the pulse of your heart, and it just has that low ingratitude and self-pity, there's a reason. If you're like me, a lot of times it's self-righteousness. That mentality kills gratitude. And it creates an insatiable craving for human approval. If that's where you're stuck, though, you can go back to a grace-based life. God has revealed the faith where you can dwell in what Christ has done for you. You can back up and you can accept Him all over again as the total Savior that He really is. He's not going to smack you down. He's going to show you more grace. And there's nothing like more grace to make your soul abound. And then, and then what flows out of that? Boy, as, as, as thankfulness abounds, community comes out of it and mission comes out of it, but... They're the overflow of hearts that are really just thankful to Jesus. So you can live in renewal all life long. How? Well, as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, keep walking in Him. If you're thinking, you know what, though, I'm too weak for this. Good, good news. The gospel is for weak people who need a Savior to be strong for them. If you're thinking, you know what, I'm stuck in a sin and I just can't get rid of it. This is for sinful people who need an endlessly merciful Savior. If you're thinking, you know what, I'm tired of trying and always failing. The Gospel is for failures who need grace over and over again. No other kind of grace exists. And honestly, isn't that why you became a Christian? We came to see what a failure we really are. And as we failures receive Jesus Christ as the Lord, we just keep walking in Him. We never, 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 never stop needing Jesus. And in fact, we're only going to come to see how much more we need of Him 
It's all about grace. It always has been and it always will be. So that's what Wyndham Baptist Church is all about. Living forever in the gracious acceptance of Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, help people today. Because I'm sure there's some people who are struggling with this right now. There's some idol in there that is threatening them. There's some idol, honestly, that Jesus, they, they actually kind of enjoy and love and, and find acceptance in life in. God, there's, there's some sort of um, an idol that is just locked down and deep and they feel like they can't get away. It's threatening. What I want to pray, Jesus, instead is that you would you'd free people today. I want to pray for some people who don't feel like you love them. I want to ask that you would unplug those tiny valves of the heart that allow grace to start flowing through and let them experience your approval of them in Jesus. Lord, I want to, I want to pray that some people would be set free from habitual sin, from bitterness, from anger, from control, from defensiveness. Please do that for them. Please continue to do that for me. I thank you, though, that that is your heart and your intention and that you have all the power in the universe to bring to bear in this situation. So you're going to accomplish what you want, what you set your heart to do. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.